Welcome to the Gallipod with me, Galliplacidia. In this episode, I'm reading Chapter 3 of The Bolt Hole, a new fic I wrote with ADMI and Tepra. If you're not here for dreary fanfic, you're in the wrong place. Content warning. This story deals with themes of grief and hoarding, but as always, it does have a happy ending. I hope you enjoy The Bolt Hole. Chapter 3 Harry had gone back to Privet Drive once, after eighth year, after he'd bought his cottage. The Dursleys had moved away, sold the house. It was Dudley who wrote to let him know. His handwriting was chunky, like the pen had been held in the wrong hand. In it, he'd written, I thought maybe there'd be something you'd wanted to come pick up, but there was nothing of yours I could find. There'd never been anything of his, in that house. Not a single item that he wouldn't stuff into a trunk at the start of term, not a crumb of himself that he'd leave behind when he went to school. He wrote back to Dudley, sent it by Owl. Is it empty now? Dudley had given the Owl a note in return, a back of an empty government-stamped envelope. No, another family lives there now. Lillian asked about the owl, what do I say? Lillian was his girlfriend. He'd moved in with her and her parents all very suddenly. They lived in a flat in North London. Tell her your cousin is a weirdo, Harry answered, and the next day went by Privet Drive for no reason he could discern. Curiosity? Nostalgia? He couldn't say. A frazzled young woman opened the door, and kids screamed behind her, and one of them seemed to hang from her trousers, was chewing on the fabric. Hello, he said. I'm so sorry to bother you, I... Yes, she said, half closing the door. She seemed to think he wanted to sell something. I used to live here, he said. Could I... Would it be all right if I were to, um... Have a look around? She'd paused, taken off guard. He was a stranger, but he knew he looked very young with his face shaven, drowning in his clothes. And he had a way with young parents. It was as if they sensed something about him, and that he pushed something tender at them. The slump of him, the need of him. She let him in. He walked around, dazed, while she tried to get the children to calm down. There were toys everywhere now, a crayon drawing on a wall that wouldn't scrub off. The kitchen was painted a light teal, the counter was a mess, the furniture seemed borrowed, mismatched. Barney and Friends was blaring out of the TV room. The door to the cupboard under the stairs stood wide open. Dangerous, it seemed. One of the kids could barrel right into it. Harry bent to look in, and realised he had to bend, and realised how small the space was. The frame of it reached his chest. Inside... A bare bulb, big bags of dog food on the shelves, canned goods, a vacuum cleaner. The nozzle slumped sideways and knocked something off the shelf to the floor. It was cramped. Nothing else could fit there. Where's my bed? The question came to him, panicked and strange. He had no bed here. And yet he thought it again. Where's my bed? Where's my... He got away from the cupboard and walked quickly to the door and stood outside, trying to make the air get into his lungs more efficiently. It wouldn't. Lingered at his throat, at his nose... The air wouldn't go in. The shrubs he hid in. The curb where Sirius came to him. The diamond inlaid second floor window. Fred and George. The car. Hedwig. The woman, Nadia, came to him with a glass of water. Put her hand right between his shoulder blades and left it there until he'd calmed down. How long did your family live here? She asked, softly. I wasn't family, he said. Drank a little more. I don't know. I was sent away a lot. She breathed a sad sigh. He stared into his glass. That night at the cottage, he found an old desk in the shed, and broke it to use the pieces to board up the cupboard under the stairs. He knew while he was doing it how mad he must seem. How mad he was. But the only thought he had was, it's too small, and nothing should ever be in a place so small. No boxes, or pets, or food for the pets, or food at all, or anything alive. Not children. Especially not children. He'd not meant to leave it like that. He'd meant to talk to someone about it. He'd meant to mention it to Ron or Hermione, but really in the end it was easier not to invite them over to spend days and holidays over at their place instead. And then, in the same vein, with that same pit of emotion he'd felt at reading Dudley's words, 
nothing of yours I could find. He didn't put away his books after he read them. He didn't throw away a paper after he was done with it. He wanted this house to be his, singularly his, that anyone could walk in and know, Harry lives here. Everything here is Harry's. And if his goal had been to no longer be reduced to the contents of a single suitcase, to be more than that, to be a houseful of a person rather than a backpack or a school trunk, he had certainly achieved that goal. When it started, when he was still vaguely aware of his slowly growing habit, he knew that what he had in mind was a mess like the burrow, safe and lovely and warm, life, the mess that was left behind by life. He also knew somewhere, a year and a half or so after having bought the place, that his mess was not a burrow kind of mess at all, not a warm and lovely kind of mess, but a left-behind-by-life kind of mess. He knew it was a different monster, a darker one, one that didn't want you to breathe that much, didn't want you to move as much, didn't want you to change because change would mean it had to shrink, and shrinking is what boys in cupboards did when they had to hide, and Harry no longer had to hide. He'd, he'd thought he no longer had to hide. And then Draco fell to his knees before him, and had held him, and Harry had almost kissed him, and then all he'd wanted to do was hide, crawl into something, crawl under something, and wait for the danger to pass. He'd put his arm over his eyes and had waited for it to pass. He hadn't thought about the cupboard in so long. he taught himself not to look at it, not straight on, when walking down the hallway. He'd only just been gone for an hour or so, two, max. He'd been fuming out in the fields after their fight over the study. He'd been kicking at the grass, trying to calm himself down, telling himself, it's just stuff, it's just stuff, he's only touching it and not throwing it away, it's just stuff, it's just... Draco's entire stay at Harry's house was essentially a series of five-minute interactions that then made the rest of Harry's day collapse on itself. They'd exchange a few words in the morning, and Draco would say something absent-minded and friendly, and Harry would sit himself in his room and tell himself, it doesn't mean he wants you, don't get ideas in your head, you've been here before, you've been here before, you've... It didn't matter much, didn't help much. He'd spend far too long in doorways, trying not to stare, trying not to sulk in disappointment whenever Draco left the house. Like he, too, was an item that mustn't be displaced, must always be kept close. He tried not to wait too anxiously for his return, and tried not to be too upset when Draco did return, cheeks rosy and hair flopped over by the wind. There'd been no one else since Draco. He was sure this was a fact that Draco had sensed, had figured out, was trying to be nice about, but was surely annoyed by, annoyed by Harry's staring, by his closeness when the two were in the same space. The few daring times that Harry had put his hand to Draco's hip on passing, to his shoulder, Draco always went very still, as though he were waiting for it to end. Harry pulled back each time, as casually as he could. The season had been getting colder, but the night seemed hotter now. His bed, half covered in stuff, seemed to warm up quickly when he tried to fall asleep, and he'd often wake up in the middle of the night, sweaty, half in a dream where Draco had been there with him. There was a pub in town, and Harry had gone a few times, long before Draco had come. He drank quietly and spoke to no one. Once, a woman who introduced herself as Ollie came to sit with him and asked him a lot of questions, which he answered evasively. At some point, rude and drunk, he said, No offence, but what do I have to do to make you stop talking to me? And she said, with a smile that spread very slowly, Buy me a drink, I think. He did. Much later, in an alleyway outside the pub, she'd kissed him and tried to get her hand down his jeans, and he'd pulled his lip from between her teeth and said, uh, No, sorry, I... She pulled away, caught her breath. Right, okay, she said, and went back inside. He went back home, not sure if he'd disappointed her or himself or someone else altogether. He wanted to be back in eighth year, he thought. He wanted to be in a room where everyone's stuff was all over the place, not just his. He wanted big spaces. He wanted Ron and Hermione to be young and silly in the common room. He wanted Draco, too. Wanted him to be near, always near, and talking to Harry, flirting with Harry, looking at Harry in his bed, warm and clutching and endlessly familiar.
But none of that existed anymore, and some of it had never really existed in the first place. So instead, Harry bought an inflatable pool from the home shopping network and went to bed. There was, in a way, an ominous sense of danger to the idea of changing anything. He wasn't sure what the danger would be, and surely he'd faced all the danger there could be had already, and that before he was twenty. And still he feared his house, feared throwing away any shred of it, any little piece of it, any section. His immediate thought when he came home and found that Draco had worked open the cupboard door was, oh, we're going to die now. It was dramatic and unnecessary, and very much removed from reality, and yet, it was what he felt. Chaos was always followed by destruction, was it not? But then a second passed, and then another, and he hadn't died, and neither had Draco, and no monsters had slithered out into the house, and Draco was trying very hard to explain what had happened, and Harry just wanted to crawl into somewhere safe. But Draco hadn't let him. He followed Harry up the stairs and demanded his apology was heard, and Harry kept on saying, please, I just need a moment, please, just a moment, just a... Draco on his knees, his face close. If you keep on being so sad, I won't have any choice but to make violent love to you. As if it could be a joke, or worse, maybe, as if it was that simple. Like Harry could just nod at Draco. Like he could just wake up cheered by the easy physical pleasure, unbothered by the empty space in his bed. Like Draco didn't quietly work his way inside Harry and leave bits there, shards that meant Harry couldn't heal, Harry couldn't move on, Harry couldn't ever forget him. Harry had held Draco's head in his hands to remind himself that Draco was breakable, and then counted to ten so that he wouldn't lose his mind and put his body to Draco's, climb him, hold him down, make him quiet, put his mouth on him. He'd pulled himself back from that edge, breathless and miserable. He didn't leave his room that evening, was too mortified to do so too startled by himself to do so. The storm roared higher around the cottage, pushed the trees almost flat. It was impossible trying to sleep through the storm. Branches slashed at the window, the wind howled in the fireplace, the heavy clatter of rain against the gutters, the awnings. Harry curled small beneath the covers, trying to tuck away the loneliness. He remembered the curious lack of fear he had felt on his eleventh birthday in that small, storm-shaken shack. He wished he could be fearless now, the rain whipped at the house, and Harry's life could only be improved through a series of exertions he did not believe he would ever again have the effort to make. He sat up after a while, hooked his arms around his knees, and so his cheek was resting against his knees, tired and worn, when it happened. The house felt as though it were groaning around him, shuddering in the high wind, as furious and miserable as Harry himself. And then it gave up, folded in, all its fragility exposed. There was a terrible splintering noise, a crash, the floor trembled, Harry jumped out of bed, heart pounding, standing for a moment in the dark as though waiting for the dream to end. The stillness to return, nothing to fear. Instead, the wind was screaming through the once sturdy walls and Harry ran for the door, stumbling over the chaos on the floor. When he opened his door, rain swept in on his face. Lumos, he said. Rubble all down the corridor. Above him, the sky. He had been supposed to get the roof rethatched two years ago. He never had. He'd written himself reminders on slips of paper, and the slips of paper disappeared the moment he put them down. Above him, splinters of straw and sedge, gaping ragged at the hole in his home, the wind already tearing more of it away, sending it raising through the empty corridor like rubble, chaos in a battle, and the deep caved-in triangle of roof that had half knocked over a wall, that had only just missed Harry, that was... that was... He was shouting Draco's name as he surged forward, slipping on rain and soggy thatch, the wind yanking at his clothes. Draco's door was still standing somehow, but the roof beyond it had collapsed, the floor under Harry's feet unsteady. Harry ran and got to Draco's door and yanked it open. Draco fell forward into his arms. He was soaked through. Draco, Harry said. He caught Draco solidly, 
an arm around his waist, an arm around his shoulders, Draco's fists clenched in Harry's shirt, dragging him away from the awful edge of what had been Draco's room, his strange, lovely room that he'd tidied all for himself, that he'd shaped out of the malicious disorder. Draco, fuck, fuck, are you, are you okay? Are you... Draco's eyes were huge and horrified in his face. There was straw in his hair, down his collar, all of him sodden and filthy. He was practically vibrating, he was shaking so hard. Harry threw magic behind him without thinking, spells to reinforce the walls, shut out the rain, keep the house from collapsing around them. Draco was a shuddering, messy armful, and Harry knew he was holding on too hard, but he couldn't let go. Fine, Draco said. No, I'm fine, I'm not hurt. They got downstairs, somehow, in that awful dark. Some shocked, hollow part of Harry's mind noted that it was easier now there were fewer boxes to fall over. Paths that Draco had cleared. When Harry closed the kitchen door, the sound of the storm subsided a little, that howling shriek momentarily tamed, and the candles around them flickered into life before Harry could think to light them. Draco was still staring at him, and bleeding, Harry noticed now, from a muddy cut on his cheek. "'You're bleeding,' said Harry, mind blank. Draco stepped back. He touched the cut, stared at his fingers, then closed his eyes, looking ill. "'Not keen on blood,' he said, and stumbled into a chair. Harry moved without thinking, following down on his knees by Draco's side. "'Are you okay?' he demanded. He was always too rough. He knew he was, and he couldn't help it. He was only just restraining himself from reaching out again, taking hold of him, gripping him, and making sure he was safe. But he didn't want to hurt Draco any more than he already had. "'What does it hurt?' "'How bad is it? Will I die?' asked Draco, eyes still closed. "'The... the cut?' Harry said, voice rough in his throat. "'Is that... is that... are you hurt anywhere else? Draco, you said you weren't... the cut?' Draco said. His teeth began to chatter. "'You said I'm bleeding. Do you think I will die?' "'No,' Harry said. He couldn't catch his breath. He couldn't lose that rough, miserable note, the way his voice kept hitching. "'No, it's not deep.' "'I'm scared of bleeding to death,' said Draco." although it was hard to understand him, because his teeth were chattering so much. Harry's heart turned over in his chest. "'You're okay,' he said. He needed Hermione. He was rubbish at healing charms. He didn't want to mess Draco up, his lovely face. He wanted Draco to be better. "'You're okay, I, I promise, I've got you.' His hand hovered above Draco's knee for a moment, and then he shoved himself unsteadily to his feet and went to find a clean tea towel. "'Fuck,' he muttered. It was impossible to find anything. "'What are you looking for?' asked Draco who had opened his eyes and was watching him with a dazed expression. "'Tea towels,' said Harry. "'Box by the stove,' Draco said. And when Harry went, they were right there on top, two clean dish rags. He wet one in warm water and came to kneel by Draco again. "'Hold still,' he said, and took Draco's face in his hands. Draco's breathing was shuddery, frightened, but he let Harry tilt his head down, let Harry gently wipe away the dirt and blood from his face until he could see the outline of the cut by candlelight. It wasn't bad. It wasn't too bad.' Harry touched his thumb to Draco's chin, even though there was no reason to still be touching him. There, he said. Do you think maybe Pinky Dime was a, a mistake? said Draco, speaking lightly, but far too fast. Do you think maybe it was supposed to be me, the bus? It seems like such a stupid fucking accident. Shh, said Harry, holding the dry rag against Draco's cheek to stem the bleeding and pushing Draco's hair out of his face. He couldn't take his hands off him. He kept thinking about the awful luck of it all, what it would have been like if he'd had to clear the mess away, had to hunt for Draco under the rubble. It just fell on me, said Draco. The whole ceiling. It's my fault, said Harry. I didn't fucking get the thatches in like I should have. I'm so sorry I'm such a fuck-up. Is it still bleeding? asked Draco. A bit, said Harry. I don't like blood, said Draco, as if he had forgotten he had already mentioned it. 
Ever since six years, it makes me feel a bit ill. Not much of a soldier, am I? But then we already knew that. Is it still bleeding? A bit, said Harry. I'm sorry. He was crying. I'm not very good with blood, said Draco. I know it's pathetic. You're in shock, said Harry. It was almost unbearably sweet, Draco trying to explain himself. Harry wished he would stop. He didn't need to. It was Harry who had done everything wrong, and every low, startled excuse made Harry's breath hitch. He wiped his nose on his sleeve, his eyes, his chest hurt, high and hiccuping. I'm fine, I'm fine, said Draco, then opened his eyes, looking concerned. Are you all right? Harry nodded. Are you crying? Or is it the rain? asked Draco. I was scared, said Harry. Draco reached out and brushed his freezing thumb underneath Harry's eye. Harry didn't mean to, but he turned his face and pressed it into Draco's palm, his beard prickling at Draco's skin, Draco's long fingers tentative on his cheek. Harry drew in a long breath. He swallowed. He pulled back and took the tea towel off Draco's face. Draco was staring at him. I can probably do a healing charm now if you like, said Harry. Yes, please, said Draco. But he flinched away when Harry pointed his wand at his face and cast the spell. There, said Harry. All done. Draco touched his cheek again, feeling for the cut, then checked his fingers. It's not bleeding, he said. No, said Harry. He had his hands on Draco's knees, couldn't help himself now. He wanted to hide his face in Draco's lap. He had a brief image of earlier that night, of Draco on his knees before him. He wondered what would have happened if he'd done it, taken Draco into his bed, if he would have just hurt Draco worse. He shoved the image away. That was quick, said Draco. He sounded amazed. Harry wondered how long it had taken to stop the Sectum Semper cuts from bleeding. He ran his hands busily up Draco's knees, his thighs, his stomach, his chest, ending up with them in Draco's hair. You're not hurt anywhere else? he asked. He lowered his hands when Draco shook his head. Draco had not stopped trembling. I just want to go to bed, said Draco, then seemed to remember that his bed was currently buried beneath half a roof. Or the couch, I, I just want to lie down. You can sleep with me, said Harry, without thinking. Draco stiffened. I mean, in my bed, added Harry. I'll sleep on the couch. Draco shook his head. No, I'd rather with you. He snapped his mouth shut and dropped his eyes. Well, whatever you want. He looked so impossibly dear in the candlelight, his chest rising and falling too fast, his lips pale, the thin chattering of his teeth. Harry couldn't believe he was here, couldn't believe that danger had come for them still all the way out here, in a cottage in the middle of nowhere. Do you want a cup of tea? asked Harry. Do you... Do you want some water? No, thank you. Draco was quiet for a moment, and then he said, I'm cold. Okay, said Harry, rising to his feet and taking Draco's hands. Let's go then. Draco rose obediently. It was the shock of a lifetime how obedient he could be. In eighth year, his head had followed the imperceptible pressure of Harry's hands. He'd lifted when Harry told him. He'd gone exactly where Harry had put him. It was awful to be thinking about this now. It was awful what Draco did to Harry, what Harry wanted to do to him. Draco followed Harry to the stairs, then stopped. Will it be safe? Harry knew he was handling Draco too easily, as if Draco belonged to him, but he could not seem to stop. He put his arms around Draco, held him close. Yes, he said. I promise. And his arm was around Draco's waist, his hand reaching for Draco's. Draco was thin, worn out, lost. Harry could have scooped him up into his arms, carried him away. He wanted to do that. He wanted to hold Draco closer, wanted Draco to loop his arms around Harry's neck and put his face against Harry's throat and hide there, like he was something just for Harry. He did not. Draco nodded. He had not stopped shivering. Harry led him up the stairs, through the howling wind, into his bedroom, where the sounds of the storm were abruptly lessened. 
Draco tripped over to the bed and perched on the edge as Harry cast more protective spells at the walls and ceilings. That should hold us, he said. He could hear Draco's teeth from across the room. You must be freezing. Draco shook his head. You're all wet, said Harry. Draco started fumbling with the buttons on his pyjama top. His fingers were icy white. Harry knelt before him again. Here, let me, he said, and undid them. Although, this is not what I meant, you know. I was thinking more a drying spell. Oh, said Draco, pausing his hands. Harry drew the pyjama shirt off Draco's damp shoulders. I'll get you something clean, he said. He fumbled around in the corner of the floor where he kept his clothes and found a t-shirt and some pyjama bottoms. He passed them to Draco and turned around until he heard Draco climb into the bed. Harry slept in a double bed, but half of it was taken up by clutter. Draco had pushed up to the edge of the pile of pillows, papers and clothes, but there was still barely room for both of them. Draco lay on his side, facing away from him. "'You're still shivering,' said Harry. "'Sorry,' said Draco. "'I'm trying not to.' "'Are you okay?' asked Harry. "'It just fell,' said Draco. "'I know, I'm sorry. "'The whole ceiling, it, it was like the water again.' "'I'm so sorry,' said Harry. "'It's all right. I'm all right. It just... it surprised me.' Now that they were in bed together, it was impossible to ignore the fact that Draco was shaking, every part of his body rattling, his long fingers clasped beneath his sharp chin, the crooks of his elbows and his knees, his ankles, all of him clattering and juddering. Harry didn't know what to do. He had some distant notion that if he could touch Draco gently enough he might stop it, but he was out of practice with affection, had never had enough of it to remember how to do it right and everything he wanted to do with Draco was too hungry and too much, the way it always was. But Draco was so cold. Harry moved. He plastered himself over Draco, flattening him down beneath the weight of Harry's body. They both let out gusty breaths. Harry pressed his face against Draco's neck, hips hooked against Draco's arse, chest to Draco's back, Draco on his stomach, and Harry stretched out on top of him. Draco took two huge, rattling breaths and then went still. Harry's mouth was fuzzy his head fuzzier. There was nothing he could say that would make this any less weird. He was so hot, burning up, all the fever and fear of the evening, and underneath him Draco was cool and welcoming. Harry reached out, slowly, wound their fingers together. Draco's grip was painfully tight. He turned his face, very slightly, so that Harry's head slipped forward and Harry's nose was against Draco's neck, his mouth on Draco's cool throat. Draco made a very tiny noise, and then neither of them said anything. Neither of them moved. When Harry woke up, they'd moved to their sides, but he was still wound around Draco, their fingers locked, his chest to Draco's back. Draco was sleeping slow and even. Grimy sunlight came in through the windows, soft beams on Draco's white blonde hair. Harry was faintly surprised that he still had windows. Draco looked better in the morning light, when Harry levered himself slowly up on one elbow to check. His face was stained with filth and watermarks, but his mouth was soft, the cut gone as though it had never existed, only a very tiny furrow between his brows. Harry watched him until he realised that was what he was doing, then untangled himself from Draco. It was an intricate matter, pulling his hand from Draco's, putting space between their bodies. He did it with a strong sense of regret, then got up to inspect the damage. It had been so dark last night, it had all happened so quickly and vaguely, and all he remembered was rubble and rain and shouting, finding Draco, not looking behind him. Then Draco, sitting very neatly. Then Draco, going very still under him. The night and the adrenaline had blurred the damage. It was bad. The entire top right half of his house had been destroyed. The beams had either broken or teetered to the side, 
Straw was everywhere, and leaves, and everything that had been Harry's was now soaked through. He pushed through the ruin to the edge of what was once Draco's room and looked round. Chaos continued on, lay strewn across the muddy ground outside. Clothes, papers, boxes, sad, spilling things he had no recollection of owning. A rocking horse, a pole, a piling of backpacks, oversized candles that sat like white plastic mushrooms in the grass. It was upsetting, in a kind of off way, that he tried to remember buying any of that which had been destroyed, and couldn't recall the action, the day, the thought that had driven him. Why had he needed it? Surely there had been a reason. Surely there had been some reason for at least one of the... He nudged a soggy cardboard box with his toe, and it fell open, disgorging a frisbee, three workout videos, a portable roll-up piano keyboard, and a book of Norse-British place names. Ginny's words came back to him, disembodied and too close for comfort. It's as if you still think loving people will make them die. He looked at the ceiling that wasn't there and saw, as though superimposed, an image of the house the first time he'd seen it. He'd walked this hallway, and a door further down the corridor had been open, and a breeze had come through, and carried in the sound of quarrelling birds. Everything had been empty back then. He thought to himself, privately, embarrassed by it, that he was in love with the place, with its walls, its rooms, its garden. Was this proof, he wondered? Had he loved the house and killed it? Or maybe that wasn't love at all, what he'd done here. Maybe all that he had done was fill up something lovely until all that was left of it was casing, and now the casing was gone too. He thought of Draco, stepping off the train, the feeling he'd had that Ron and Hermione had sent him, still warm with their affection. The look of him, awkward and flustered, trying to move about in Harry's mess, trying not to overstep, doing so anyway. He went downstairs and tried to assemble breakfast. To his surprise, there were quite a few edible things in the fridge, and Draco seemed to have got his toaster working at some point. Harry swept everything off the table into a bin bag, and only felt a very small prickle of fear. He thought, I can always put everything back, and instead closed the bag and went outside and put it in the wheelie bin behind the house. He stared at it for a moment and then went back in. By the time Draco came downstairs, wearing a cashmere jumper over Harry's t-shirt, the food was laid out on the table. It had been years since he'd made anyone breakfast. Years since he'd made anything proper for himself, too. Draco stilled for only a second. A movement like a wall had come up, stopping him, and then had come quickly down again. Oh, look at you, he said, putting on his joviality. You've become a housewife in the night. Harry blushed, didn't think about what had happened in the night, and passed a mug of tea. That's sexist, he said. Draco laughed and started to eat. He had tucked his hair behind his ear and picked neatly at his food. He looked so soft, and it came to Harry with a lurch that he might have lost him, that Draco might have been killed. If that roof had come down faster or slower or at a different angle, and then the door Harry had wrenched open would have led him to a different night, a different life, and this morning would have been... But no. Instead he was here with Harry, nibbling at a piece of toast. Harry remembered putting on glasses for the first time as a child, and realising that trees had leaves, not gobs of green cloud. And now around him, a kitchen counter with a pyramid of things that didn't matter, a floor scattered with scraps that didn't matter, and beyond, a sitting room covered in receipts he'd never look at, and books he'd never read, and in the midst of it all, Draco, who was alive, and the only thing Harry wanted to look at, and who after all mattered quite a lot. Harry drank his tea and stared out of the open back door for fear of doing something very sudden and very stupid. "'I wanted to apologise, said Draco. Harry looked back at him. "'What for?' he asked. Draco wouldn't meet his eye. "'Well, for the cupboard, first of all. I was out of line. This is your house and I shouldn't have tried to change it. I shouldn't be allowed to have a house,' said Harry. 
And second, because I know I was not brave last night. And his cheeks were flushed with two high points of colour. Draco, said Harry. No, because honestly, I have improved. I'm not nearly as cowardly as I was, and I made you... He huffed at himself. <laughs> I shouldn't have put myself so entirely in your hands. And I know you're not going to believe me, because I completely lost it last night. But really, I, I am better. It's just that blood is... I don't know, it always gets to me. I know that's stupid. It's very annoying in the field, he added thoughtfully. Once I was covered in blood, and Hermione told me that it was mud, and that I definitely shouldn't look. And I did look. And then I started screaming, and then she started screaming, and... Anyway. You were brave, said Harry. Draco raised his eyes to look at him. He looked utterly taken aback. Harry waited for him to say something. He didn't. I was hoping you'd help me clear out the house, said Harry. Clear... clear it out? Yeah, said Harry. Properly. Throw shit away, do a deep clean, fix the roof, obviously. Draco rested his chin in his hand, frowning. Really, I mean it. I want to. I want to have... Draco's eyes were very bright and he was listening. Harry blinked away. I promise not to lose my shit this time, he added. Oh, said Draco. Yeah, okay then. It was a matter of where to start. There were neat piles now, Draco's neat piles, and around them Harry's sea of things. After they cleared off breakfast and did the dishes in a rattled, anticipatory kind of silence, Harry considered the path ahead with his breath held and panic low in his belly, and Draco dried his hands on a dish towel and said, Well, from the top to the bottom, I suppose. They went upstairs and stood in the ruins of what was left, looking at the devastation. A wet edge of floorboard gave way under one of Draco's feet, and Draco almost slipped, and Harry had to haul him back to safety with a sudden jerk, Harry's hand under his arm. They caught their breaths. The piece of floor that had crumbled was now on the ground, had fallen over what looked to be a limp and muddy Halloween superhero costume. Harry let Draco go. I'm very good at fixing things, you know, said Draco. I'm aware, said Harry. Draco absentmindedly touched the spot where Harry had gripped him. Harry flexed his hand at his side and wondered if he'd held on too hard, too violently. I shouldn't have put myself so entirely in your hands, he'd said. He'd gone so beautifully still under Harry when the shaking had stopped. The slice of his face that Harry had been able to see from the shoved close angle was calm, his long eyelashes quiet against pale skin. The very slightest crook of his perfect mouth. That same mouth tugged down now, frowning, not quite unhappy, just considering. The sun came out from behind a cloud and Draco blinked up at it, took out his wand and levitated a chunk of mossy thatch out of the hole in the house and down into the garden. Harry took a step back and began to do the same. By evening... The worst of what had come in had been shown the way out. The garden was now a green and brownish hill of old hay, and the only corner that stood free was the bare willow, the weathered bench. They'd worked in silence for most of it. Draco had put up a quiet charm when the rain had started, and Harry had cast a wordless heating charm when the winds picked up. Still, the end of the day found them tired and cold to the bone, though they had got a rough, roof-like structure in place, and Draco had managed to terrify a thatcher into agreeing to come the very next day. They were too tired to cook, too tired to deal with the kitchen, and agreed to have dinner down at the village pub. Draco said they served up a few edible choices, and Harry wanted to ask when he'd gone to the pub, and with whom, and how come he hadn't asked Harry along, but found that he was too tired even for that. They found a good, quiet table in the back. Several people greeted Draco, and Harry was surprised to discover this fact made the both of them blush. Harry for the fact that he'd made himself a stranger in his own space, and Draco... he didn't know. He didn't know why Draco should be embarrassed at all. When they'd got their drinks, Draco gave him a look and said, For God's sake, take that thing off, we're inside. Harry had forgotten about his hat. It was always sort of 
on. He wrenched it off and kept it in his lap and wrung his hands through it until he got insecure about his hair and ran his fingers through it to get it into some sort of order. He couldn't. It was too tangly. Ack, he said, annoyed, and scratched at his beard instead. I need a shower, he said. I wasn't going to say, said Draco, twisting away from him, looking at the chalkboard menu of the day. Oh, fuck you, said Harry. Draco grinned, not looking at him. They ate and spoke in halted conversations about the order in which to tackle the house and what needed to be done. Every now and then the thought clamped at Harry's heart again, a terror, a falling sensation. And then Draco would say something like, And of course we must figure out what to do with your dual collection of ancient coins and floral ceramics you've stored in a violin case under the window seat in the study, unless they belong there, in which case I apologise. And the band of fear would lessen, and Harry would nod, and eat his mashed potatoes. They were waiting for a second round of drinks when Draco put his foot over Harry's under the table and pressed. Draco wasn't looking at him, was prattling on about something Ron had once said about coin collectors and their sex lives, or lack thereof. He looked flushed with drink, with how warm the pub was. He had a bit of straw stuck under the collar of his jumper. Harry couldn't breathe. Then Draco seemed to realise that it was Harry's foot and not the table leg, and retreated and apologised and laughed uncomfortably, and in the pause that followed, Harry knew they were both thinking about last night, about Harry's weight on top of him. The bed loomed large in Harry's mind on their walk home. It was a cold, cloudless night. The moon had waxed itself to an oblong shape and was winking in and out of spidery treetops. An owl hooted along their journey. The path wasn't narrow, but their shoulders brushed with every step. Draco was cold, hadn't brought his gloves with him, and kept blowing on his fingers. They were almost at the house. They were walking along the path where they'd taken that haphazard, anxious stroll on that first day, where the cows usually grazed in the distance. The meadow was deserted now. It was only them. Harry's duster coat had a warming charm sewn into its hems. Here, he said, shouldering roughly out of it. He wanted to drape it over Draco's shoulders, but it felt like too much, the kind of possessive surety that Draco would want his touch tonight, when it was quiet and peaceful and no one was hurting Draco, least of all Harry himself. He held it out instead, fabric bunched tight in his fist. Oh, I, no, it's really, said Draco. I always run hot, Harry said, and Draco cast him an unreadable look and took the jacket. He slipped his arms into it, dug his fingers deep into the pockets. He jerked the collar close around his chin, so that he was almost disappearing into it, and then he did smirk at Harry, like the whole thing was a joke they were playing with each other. A joke Harry didn't understand. Harry frowned to the side. He'd been warmed by their evening, and felt as if he were burning up now, even though the frost bit at his lips, at the skin of his cheeks. They followed the sloping path down the hill. The house, when they entered it, felt dark and crowded and unwelcoming. It hadn't ever, before. While Draco showered, Harry sat at the edge of his bed and held his face in his hands, scratched at his hair, his beard. One of the only things they'd saved from the wreckage of Draco's room was a small orange bedside lamp, and it was now perched next to Draco's side of the bed. Draco's side of the bed. The only light that they'd turned on. Only the bed was visible, a spotlight of soft yellow. The rest of the room was a lumpy horizon, swallowed up by shadows. When Draco came back, in his pyjamas, pink all over, the tips of his hair wet, Harry was quick on his feet and made to rush to the bathroom, not to have to witness this part of the ritual, the turning in, the getting under the sheets. But he'd misjudged the distance and was at the door before Draco was through it, and they brushed, had to dance around each other, until Harry palmed Draco's warm shoulder and kept him still, just for the moment, so that he could pass by. Draco's mouth parted with a small sound. Harry marched to the bathroom with his neck on fire. He was too tired to wash and only brushed his teeth and kept his face under the cold water for longer than necessary. He avoided his own eyes in the mirror while drying his beard. For God's sake, he muttered at himself. His thoughts wouldn't turn off. The bed, the bed. Draco wasn't asleep when he came back. 
he was sitting in bed, reading a book titled Sixty Ways to Not a Knot, A Seafarer's History. He looked sweet and almost domestic, frowning over a paragraph with his knees drawn up and a smudge of toothpaste that he absolutely hadn't noticed on the corner of his mouth. But his gaze jerked up when Harry came in, his shoulders tightening, and he closed his book quickly and put it on the bedside table and slid down into the bed, his hair dragging on the pillow. Harry's stomach tightened. He sat down on the mattress with his back to Draco, then lifted the sheets and got under and kept his back to Draco. The light went off. Draco said, The Thatcher's coming very early tomorrow. Harry said, Right. We should probably both be there, in case he has very specific questions about the house or the... I'll be awake, Harry said. Little sharp. I'll wake up. Draco didn't say anything. Harry felt almost nauseous with curled want and turned around to face Draco. The sheets rustled very loudly. Draco's face was closer than expected. He was hard to make out in the dark. His eyes were moving, glinting. Harry wanted to say, make this easy for me. Wanted to beg, even. Please. Please make this easy for me. Draco reached out. Harry closed his eyes, swallowed, waited. Draco touched his beard, a light touch, and said, Where are you under there? It was playful. Harry made to move away, and then Draco dug his fingers in, into the coarse hair, his neat nails over the skin of Harry's jaw, finding the line of him, the softness under his chin. Ah, Draco said, quiet and shaky. There you are. Harry said, Draco, and it came out very dark and terrible, like he was upset, but he wasn't, only he wanted too much. Only he didn't think Draco would want as much. Draco took his hand away and said, Sorry, on a small, self-deprecating laugh. Have it, sorry, he added. And Harry thought, have it. And a reel played itself of all the times he'd seen Draco flirt when nervous, touch when unsure, use the question of his sexuality as a means of disarming a tense situation. Harry turned over. He was very tired and very awake at the same time, aroused and hurt at the same time. He could almost see how Ron and Hermione might have thought it was a good idea, Draco was so light and playful, and it cheered him up to play games, and they weren't to know that Harry wouldn't laugh the way they did. He said, Good night, and curled in on himself. Good night, Draco answered from somewhere very far off. Harry didn't sleep exactly. Something nervous kept jerking him out of it, and each time he'd look over his shoulder and find the line of Draco's back beside him, softly rising and falling in even breaths. He slept half wriggled in on himself, face tucked into the crook of his arm, half under the pillow, like he was trying to dig himself under the covers, like he wanted to be deep in the bed and kept rising despite his efforts to the surface. Finally, at around six in the morning, Harry called it a good effort and went to wash the night sweat off himself. He stood under the hot pressure of the water for a long time, leaned forwards, his forehead against the tiles. He ignored the guilty plumping of his cock and only scrubbed at his arms and his chest and nothing more. He ignored it with a snarl and a quiet reprimand until he didn't, and then he touched himself in the same way he always did, to the worn memory of pliant hands, a body gone still under his control, a head turned to the side at his bidding. It was all he had, all he'd ever been given. And now, too, a little frantic, oversensitised, hurtling into it, to the memory of fingers on his jaw, a hint of nails to his skin. The small room was all fog by the time he turned off the water, and he had to wipe at the mirror three times to recover the image of himself. He looked at his left side, then his right. He had to trim his beard before he could shave. He chopped at his face with a pair of kitchen scissors that had inexplicably always lived in the toothbrush mug and saw the unfamiliar shape of his face return in slow, messy increments. He cut his hair too, badly and too short, but apparently his hair's propensity to grow back to its ideal unruly length had not changed. He shaved slowly, clumsily. It took a very long time. Finally, he was done. 
A very young man blinked back at him in the mirror. Something curled in his gut, worrying and unsure. He'd been able to pretend he wasn't this young for a while, and now he couldn't think why he'd done this, why he'd revealed himself for what he was. He looked like a tired, desperate kid. He kept on touching his cheeks, his jaw, and everything felt very sensitive and cold. He had two moles between the corner of his mouth and his nose. He hadn't seen those in so long he'd almost forgotten. When he came out of the bathroom, the sun was slowly rising, and Draco wasn't in bed, but he'd made it up neat and pulled it tight. No trace of the mirror dents their bodies had made in the sheets. Harry had to go downstairs to find him, in the sitting room, a bathrobe over his pyjamas, a tea in hand, frowning at the chickens magazine. He did not look up when Harry came in. What I'm trying to understand is why you would want to click a train a chicken, Draco said. Apparently they make quite good pets, said Harry. Draco looked up. The smile dropped from his face. He blanched, got unsteadily to his feet. You've shaved, he said, and his voice had gone very husky, and he started coughing almost immediately, mouth tucked against his elbow, and then he looked back and said, with the same rough grain, You've shaved. Harry touched his face, and then quickly dropped his hand. Uh, yeah. Draco stared at him. Harry shifted uncomfortably from foot to foot. You took a long time in the shower. Draco was still staring at him. Yeah, sorry. Harry waved a hand vaguely at where the beard had been, hoping he wasn't blushing. There was a lot. I have to go to the loo, said Draco, angrily. Uh, okay, said Harry. Draco began walking, and then realised he had both a tea and a magazine in hand, and so he walked back and put them down, and all the while barely took his eyes off Harry, face tight with disapproval, frowning as though Harry had given him some very specific and personal insult. Should I not have? Harry started, which made Draco frown at him again on his way out of the room. He didn't look like he was going to respond, that old Malfoy haughtiness as he sailed out of the room, except he misjudged the doorway and barrelled shoulder first into the frame. Jesus, Harry said, startled. Are you okay? Ow, fucking... Draco took a long, audible breath, hunching his shoulders. The back of his neck was flushed. Do you need any... offered Harry. No, Draco said. Fuck off, please. And marched up the stairs, taking them two by two. It was much later, only after the Thatcher arrived, only after Harry offered him a cup of tea, mumbled embarrassed apologies for the state of the house, only after Harry had walked with him around the house and showed him to the second floor that Draco appeared again, dressed in neatly pressed trousers and a smart jumper and his hair combed like he put on armour. Harry was in the garden, watching the Thatcher work. Draco came to stand next to him, very straight, his hands locked behind his back. He, too, looked up at the Thatcher. "'Sorry about that,' he said as if they hadn't been interrupted at all, and as if the offending incident had been nothing more than a spill of water on the table. That bad, eh? asked Harry. He gave Draco a quick grin, hoping they could joke about it, hoping Draco wouldn't linger over the fact that all he'd had to say was, where are you under there, and that Harry took the question like a command. Harry said, don't worry, it'll grow back. I never said it was bad, said Draco. He was squinting up at the man, tracking the movements, the laying of the hay, the layering of the sedge. You seemed quite angry said Harry. Draco straightened his jumper. That, I feel, is a sentiment I have expressed before, regardless of your facial hair. <laughs> Whatever, Harry said, and shrugged and smiled. As if I care that you think I look bad. I didn't say... Draco gave him a quick, annoyed look. Another one of those frowns. His arms were still locked in place behind his back. You look... You look eighteen. Harry kept his expression blank, smile in place. Like a kid, he said. No, said Draco, seemed to search for a thought, for a moment, then added, reluctantly, no, like a wizard at the peak of his power. Harry nodded. You think I peaked at eighteen? No, said Draco. No, I... 
It looks fine, all right? God, this fishing for compliments. What are you, a 13-year-old girl? What is it you want to hear? You look good. Are you satisfied? There were a lot of words, and the only one that Harry repeated was, Good. Draco wouldn't look at him. I'm not saying it again. Okay, said Harry. Once is enough for me. The Thatcher called down to Harry to check something that he left in his trunk. Harry called up that he would. Draco turned sharply around and left. That was chapter three of The Bolt Hole, written by Adiomai, Tepra, and Gala Placidia, and read by Gala Placidia. Tune in next week for chapter four. If you enjoyed it, leave a rating on iTunes, and why not share it with a friend who you think will like the show? For more stories by me, head to AO3. I also have an Instagram, at letthemeatbooks with underscores instead of spaces, where I post reviews of the books I read, so please say hello on there. Thank you for listening. <laughs>